Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with the lead singer and guitarist of the Red Rum Society, Zach Cohen. Thanks for joining me, Zach. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. So it's been pretty cool because I've had a couple of your buddies on lately, and uh, you and I were just talking a little bit, and I'm really glad that you could come on the show because I've heard a little bit more about your story, and I know our listeners are going to enjoy it. And I'm probably going to learn a little bit more as well. But yeah, so I want to hear about the music and and your band and how all that got started and and just the journey with all that. But first, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about what your life was like before you actually got sober. So what was going on? Okay, um, before I got sober, you talking about right before you talking about first drink? Yeah, man. No, take take it, take us back, man. Let's rewind it. Yeah, let's let's go back. You might be editing this story a little bit. It's all right. So I was uh, I was eight, and I used, um, you know, my dad and my my parents were a uh, they were my dad was a doctor, my mom was a nurse. We lived right next to the hospital. They'd work right, and we had a nanny. I had two sisters, no brothers, so we had a nanny that would come over. And uh, she'd tuck us into bed and she would take a sleeping pill, right? And she'd pass out. And I knew, I, I didn't know she was taking a sleeping pill. I didn't know it was a sleeping pill. Okay. But I knew she was knocked out. Yeah. So I'd go up in her face and clap in her face on the couch and she wouldn't <laughs> budge. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. You know, and I always, my whole life, I always wanted to have a big brother. You know, I had two sisters okay. and uh, my, my older, I was eight my, when my older cousin, a dude, John, crazy wild man um moved in he was 13 he moved in with us his his father would so he came in and we uh uh (laughs) i was so excited to have to have a big brother you know and i couldn't wait to show him my game where you clap in front of the nanny's face and so finally when night came i showed him i was like how great is this and he's like are you crazy He's like, this is all you're doing? This is a gold mine. He's like, where is your mom's liquor cabinet? I was like, I think it's right over there. And so we used to play this game. So my, my drinking started, I was a happy kid. Um, yeah. I didn't have any hole to fill. Um, it was more, uh, I was just your run-of-the-mill dumbass, right? So it. just that yeah. picture that dumbass eight-year-old that was in your class <laughs> in the second grade. That was me. You're looking okay. at me. All right. All right. So um, we used to play this game called, uh, I'll call it like butt grabbing. Okay. We had a different name for it though. And a uh, pretty simple game. Essentially, this is how you play it. 
take a water bottle, you dump out the water. You go into the liquor cabinet, you take a little bit off the top of each one so your mom doesn't find out that you're an alcoholic. Put the cap back on, mix it up. We called it a milkshake, okay? Wow. Spoiler, there's Baileys in there too. So we, we shake it up, call it a milkshake. You drink a milkshake, throw up, cry, high five, get on your little Razor scooters, remember? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you, you go down to downtown Lake Worth and you go to, up to a bar and there's a guy outside the bar checking people's IDs. And we're eight and 13, we say, our dad's in there. And he's like, well, get him out. Go on the bar, find a girl who's looking the other direction, reach up, grab her butt, and run out. Wow. And <laughs> let me tell you, this was on a Tuesday, Wednesday night. So try to imagine yourself as an eight-year-old boy. You just got a big brother, grabbing butts on a school night, living wild and crazy, and, um, and then you're in school the next morning. How regular How was this? Was you were eight. This? Like... <laughs> Often, wow. <laughs> it was okay. often it was frequent. Okay. And I would drink the whole bottle because my cousin wow. would give me like a dead leg until like like he just like he'd be like, "Come on, hurry up, hurry up! I already finished mine." I'm like, "I, right. <laughs> yeah." So, so and I was a little boy. I was a little very small. I was like the smallest kid in the class. And so I'd be in class the next day, and the kids were like, "Oh man, I had such a hard time with the homework," and like, "Oh, did you play Madden?" And I'd be like suckers you know yeah and uh the thing is is that it was glorious hmm. it was absolutely glorious and uh i could never recapture that glory wow you know and yeah. i think that is really now i had like as time went on even by high school i i had all the isms okay right? i had all the isms, and i was feeling them and dealing with Right? For like sure. Kind of like, why am I different? Like, why do I think like this? Like, what, you know, like, it seems like other people aren't thinking like this. Mm. But anyways, once we moved to Boca, we didn't have the opportunity to do it. My dad switched professions. He went into business and I had to hang up my cleats. And I literally remember having to stop drinking at 10 years old. Wow. Yeah. So, and then obviously things picked back up and it was like, kind of like, you know, um, I was friends with everybody in high school, but nobody wanted to party with me. I'd be like, you know, we'd be cool. And then like on the weekends that they'd be like, oh, we're going to this party. I'm like, but I thought you said we we're going to smoke crack behind the dumpster. You yeah. Know? You were like, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, man, like by that time, if you started out where you were at eight to 10 by high school, you're just on another level with it. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, and so then I moved to California. Yeah. Right. And my whole life up until then, I, um, I always had like some sort of a governor on how far I could go. I can never recapture that glory from back mm-hmm. when I was eight. Mm-hmm. And um, that like just perfect night, you know, it was like, right. always something going wrong. I felt right. I was coming down. I'm like laying in my bed, like crying, you know, thinking I'm going to die, whatever. So, so I realized when I was going out to California, this thought clicked in my head, this notion that there wasn't going to be anybody to stop me or slow me down. And I was like, ah, and I got this on this mission. I was like, I'm going to explore my, I'm going to find that sweet spot. And it's this way. It's down. It's down. For those of you who can't see me, I'm pointing straight down. And uh, I'm like, I just got to drink as much, do as much drugs as I can and explore my vices as much as I can. And really by that, what I, 
I, like I could, I was aware of it back then at, at 19. Like I have to be as selfish as possible. Like I just wanted to purely live for myself. Like just to be the most selfish guy you could be and you'll feel good, you know? And uh, what I realized was that um, I couldn't, um, I couldn't get happy that way, you know? And when I realized I wasn't working and that it was actually having the opposite effect, I couldn't stop, you know? And it was like terrifying. It was, it was doom, you know, that I, uh, I was like, I'm going to die alone in an alley, you know? And wow. that was it, you know? And it was, and it was, yeah. the thing is, is like what we were talking about is like the, the times were wild. I yeah. was, if you want to know in, in one word what I was like, I'll give you two words. What I was like before I got sober, I was pure chaos. I was an omen. Like, if you saw me, you're, do you're done. It's yeah. going to be bad. You know, like everywhere I went, I left a trail of disaster. It's, it's our friend Adam Javelin's favorite story about me is, is that when I really crashed and burned, you know. Well, yeah. So, and I want to get into that a little bit because you were just telling me a little bit about this story and yeah, Adam, who came on the show recently, uh, this was part of the reason that, that he said, like, he wanted you to come on this show. And, um, and it does sound like an amazing story. I mean, honestly, man, I haven't heard all of it. So I, I'm excited to hear it like, you know, right now, kind of in the moment while we're doing this, but, um, you know, it sounds like, uh, like a real recovery story. So, so the music, this is where the music comes into play, right? So what, what, was, what was going on? Like, how did all that get started? Just the music in general? The music in general. So Red Rum Society, that's right, started right. in 2008 when I was in high school. Okay. It started with where I was taking lessons. There was this kid, Dylan Lerner. And me and Dylan, I was like, this kid's the best musician I've ever met in my life and he was super weird but I was like I was like I'm gonna be in a band with this guy so I was mm -hmm. like dude band band up he's like all right no one's asked me to be in a band before I was like sucks for them because you're with me now and then I was going to pick up some weed and uh I can talk about like yeah 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 sober nation right, yeah so, sober nation right. these people right. know about uh, weed nobody, John didn't give me any rules for anybody listening <laughs> yeah, so yeah. this is his fault the people but, listening know uh, the know about the marijuana. <laughs> yes, y'all yeah, heard of marijuana, right? So, uh, so I go to his house, and I just so happen to bring my bongo. I always had some musician, some instrument in my hand. Okay. And he's he's like scaling out, there and I start tapping the bongo, and he's like, "Oh, keep tapping the bongo," and, and he starts rapping. And I'm like, "Oh," and he starts singing. I'm like, "Dude, I live five minutes away. Let me grab my guitar." He's like, "All right, all right whatever. Go on. You come back and play your guitar for me." And uh, so I started playing my guitar. He's like in high school too, right? And he starts rapping. We're like, I was like, dude, I got this friend Dylan. He's like, let me bring my partner. And the four of us, so that was me, Dylan, Esperanza Wilcox, and that's just Raymond. And we got together. And I'm telling you, we were all completely different, completely different cultures, family backgrounds, everything, right? Mm. just was like a Haitian dude, kind of raised himself. No, his, he was an orphan. Parents were dead. Espo, Jamaican dude, crazy, wild, like he took chaos to another level himself. 
we didn't really con- wouldn't consider us friends but when yeah. we came together and started making music i'm telling you the music that the four of us made together in high school is some of the coolest music i've ever heard in my life hmm. and uh and so that's how it started. And Red Rum Society, okay. night before our first show, we, we never had a band name, but the last two movies I saw were The Shining and uh, Dead Poet Society. There you go. I like it. So it, that as the last two movies I saw, I threw it out. I didn't even like it. They did. And I was like, ah, all right. Should have kept my mouth shut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but um, and I moved, so Dylan, uh, Dylan died uh, a year later. Not a year later. He he uh, was bipolar and schizophrenic. Went off his meds. Went missing. We filed a, his parents filed a missing persons report. Wow. And found his body washed up on the beach. Jeez. So yeah. So that's how that's how red that's I mean there's a lot of red rum lore mm-hmm. that's wow. pretty interesting. Estris did nine years in prison. It was just me and Espo and uh, and. Uh, you know, me and Estrus did a lot of fighting, but we were really driving it in a large way. And Espo was the character and the heart and soul of the band. Um, he uh, and the main vocals, I was just the guitar player and writing the songs. Okay. He was kind of the bridge between me and Estrus because me and him used to butt heads like crazy. So then it was just me and Espo. And Espo started going through a lot of external issues that he wasn't dealing with properly. And, um, you know, I wasn't yet. And so we did all these songs and I ended up, he left the band and I became the singer. And actually, okay. it was mine and Adam's, how me and Adam met. I've known Adam since I was 17, mm. um, since I was a kid. And our neighbor, uh, my neighbor is Dion, his good friend. Okay. I'm sure he mentioned him at some point. And Dion said, I called Dion. I said, I got one song, last shot. It said, this is it. Otherwise, I'm, no one's going to help me anymore. I said, I wrote it. I don't know who to have sing it. I've had some great singers. He goes, sing it over the phone. I was like, oh, I got a blue heart. I got a blue. I come home. He's like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta sing the song. I was like, I can't sing. He goes, if you're not a, if you can't sing your last song or your last chance, if you can't bet on yourself, you might as well just stay home. So I was like, will you teach me how to sing? Now, Dion, I used to bother him all the time, knock on his door, tune my guitar. I didn't know he was famous, you know. I was just like, come on, help me, help me, help me. Yeah, yeah. He was trying to push me off. He goes, all right, go outside in the street. We ride down an old Jewish neighborhood. And he goes and just screamed on the street. Go, huh, huh. So I just started doing that. <laughs> that was my vocal training. And I think I, I found out later, he just kind of did that to be like, ah, yeah. But I was like, hey, that was, the, that was great. Dion just taught me how to sing. I went and I sang and got on the radio like two weeks later. And I was off to the races. I started working for, you know, a pretty big guy. And, uh, a well-known unnamed, not to be mentioned, famous rapper. (laughs) And at this point, I started dating this really nice girl and, uh, I'm totally faking everything, right? Like my whole life was an absolute lie because it was really easy to create the illusion based on who I was hanging out with and working with and all this stuff that I could be like, I'm a big deal. You know, and I loved it because really deep down, it's like I totally hated myself. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. So uh, you get it. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah. So, so my roommate had a bunch of stuff. We had a dispenser, a bunch of weed, right? Okay, yeah. And I lived right next to a liquor store. And the guys from the liquor store would come over and they would uh, 
they would get it and give it to guys at the store and whatever. Right? Oh, okay, gotcha. Customers coming in to buy Lakers. Mm-hmm. So one time he's like, "Hey, um, he's like, he's like, dude, you know who? He's here, and I'm gonna just send him over himself." I was like, "Cool." So they show up in this sick car, come in, start making fun of me for Blue Heart, you know, because they saw my little plaque. <laughs> and uh, they're like, oh, I love Blue Heart, that's you. Uh, I hate that song. I'm like, me too, you know. And uh, I was like, but I do have this one song. I was like, I'll give you all this for free if you, uh, if you check out this song. Hmm. So they're like, all right, we'll, we'll listen to it. And he kept playing the first, I lost my faith at Coachella, you know. And uh, he kept backing it up and backing it up. He said, let's go right now. And we, he, I got in his car and we drove to the studio and I was there every day since. Wow. And so uh, we're shooting the music video for, at the time it was called Coachella. Now it's called Trust Fund. So the plan was, I, the people, I, I stole uh, $30,000 online from my, from my dad, okay? So I tell the guys shooting the music video, I hired the people who did the Gone Girl music video, uh, Gone Girl movie. Remember Gone Girl? Big movie? Okay, I hired th- that crew. Same crew. Oh my God. I know. Was that like the like, whole 30K? Oh, I'm, what? Was that like the whole 30K? No. no okay. Dude. Okay. Most of it, a lot of it was on drugs. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. What am I yeah, thinking? Come on. Yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah, no. I was a, Please. Was, yeah. So, uh, so, uh, so, and I, they think I'm like funded by like this like secret label, right? Like, and, and everyone's kind of skeptical. Like, how do you, why does this guy just keep whipping out cash? Like, mm-hmm. where is this cash coming from? Like, he's clearly not functioning. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way, a, like, a guy with his brain could have this cash so handily just like, oh, yeah, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. You know? So uh, so I tell them, hey, I'm, I get a call from this guy, and he says, hey, um, Coachella's tomorrow. And we, there's, a, there's another festival in the, in, in the, uh, across the street at a different fairgrounds that we do at – after as when Coachella's fans close this turns on okay I need to play I said my band's out of town they're all on the road he said just come bring just just do your thing we'll just figure it out I was like okay cool so I let the music people know the music video people know hey you know let's let's shoot it at let's shoot it there and shoot it we'll get tickets for Coachella we got we were able to scramble up tickets and the whole crew's heading down and now there are actors in this music video like it's a whole deal and i tell the guy paul who's sitting next to me my new friend i'm like you want to come like i want to go alone i can't drive and he's like oh sure like so i ended up getting i tell him go pick up as much drugs as you can i'm like here's like i just start tossing money Mm -hmm. like you spent don't don't come back with a single dollar of this unspent you know i was like bring that down bring bring all your instruments you got bring all your cameras whatever we're gonna take pictures of me of the party because we're gonna party and so i get in someone else's car head down and basically i brought i brought like a bunch of acid and ecstasy and cocaine and i thought paul was gonna do the same but he got something else so when paul gets there i've got all the bands we're all staying in this big house okay and uh and so all the bands are there. They take us to the barn. 
show us around. We get back, and I just, I'm just like, guys, I got all this, and I got a car full on the way. Let's party. So we all start just getting absolutely trashed. Like, and it was bad. Like, and people are like, uh, like this is not going to be good for us, guys. Like, whatever. Paul comes, and he brings the reinforcements, and I immediately grab the stash and bust it out. Now, what happened was, was that what I thought was coke was actually meth because he told oh, me it was coke. Wow. So for any of you guys who have never don't know the difference between meth and coke, big difference. <laughs> They're different. And so I'm, the meth's not hitting me fast. I'm like, awesome. this, this, is, this is some strong coke. This is really good. And I'm on acid. And so now I'm on Jesus. meth and acid. And I'm telling everyone, I've got this big bag of meth and I'm telling everybody it's coke and so now everyone's on meth and acid and I got paranoid first and I told everybody there's something not right here <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> guys that's anybody a little spooked I'm like I think people are here out to get us oh man and so the camera crew shows up I'm like they're all gonna kill us and literally everybody freaks out and thinks that the, the music video people are there to like kidnap us, take us, kill us, rip us up, sell our organs in the black market. And I'm saying all this stuff and everyone's really freaking out. And so now everyone scrambles on the fairgrounds. We're tearing the place up. People are missing, like people are going missing. All the artists are going missing. The video crew, they're all trying to find me. I see Paul and I was like, Paul, I was like, I've still got about like $10,000. <laughs> I was like, there's a hard rock hotel. I'm like, if we go the same way, they're going to pick up our scent because they have noses that can smell when two people are together. I'm like, you got to go, you got to go north. I'll go south and we'll go each way and we'll reconvene at the hard rock. I will see you there. Keep your phone off. Do not turn on your phone. They're tracking us. So we shut off our phones. He gets in his car. I start running. I make it to the hard rock. Paul never shows up. Paul never turns his phone back on. Now, maybe you understand when you're a drug addict and you're hanging out with drug addicts and someone's phone never comes back yeah, on, you just kind of assume they're dead. Yeah. So I just thought, damn, they got Paul. Paul's dead. Which didn't stop me from partying. And, so where um, did the where did the show come into this? There was supposed to be a show. The show never happened. The show they never sold happened. tickets. They sold tickets. Not a single artist showed up because they all thought if they were to go there, they were going to get slaughtered, murdered. Oh, my God. So nobody showed up. And the, the, that concert has never been held again. Done. Wow. Multiple wow. people sustained severe injuries. Nobody died. Multiple people sustained severe injuries. I come back and it's found out that I'm just the biggest psychopath that's ever walked into Los Angeles. You know, nobody wants to touch me. You know, this is a complete embarrassment. Next time I showed up at the studio, they, they, the door was locked. This is kind of what you were sharing with me, which I didn't know. Like, there was this rise and then, like, fall, yeah. <laughs> clearly. Where does this fit into just your, your recovery this, journey? Right before I got sober, my, um, a good friend of mine who's a really good guy died of cancer. He got diagnosed stage four, died in six months. Wow. He was to married that. to a beautiful girl, graduated Harvard Law, had a baby on the way. Wow. And I saw it on Facebook. I was sitting there at a restaurant with my mom. 
and it's and I'm reading all these nice things that people are saying. I mean, just paragraphs of all the things he did for them, and he did. Lord knows how much he did for me. Mm. And I start thinking, if I die, Facebook's just going to be like, well, he's not suffering anymore. Oh, he's in a better place. And I was like, I said, to my mom, why did God take Alex, who's done all these good things, and I'm still alive and yeah. I've done nothing good for anybody? Yeah, yeah. He said, what would Alex say to you? Um, if, uh, if he could say one thing to you before he died. And I had that moment that I would start doing good things for people. I would live a life of good deeds, you know, selflessness, you know, get sober, start making something of myself. Hmm. Two hours later, I'm completely hammered. Sure. Just knock out drunk at a Hooters. And the waitress is coming around and I had to move to the bars. I'm trying to tell her, oh, my, my friend Alex just died. I'm going to start fighting crime. And I was, I'm a vigilante. I'm a vigilante. I'm a vigilante. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to be a sober vigilante. Wow. Right. So, <clears throat> but, <clears throat> but when I had gotten sober, I, I was really hopeless, man. I really, even in, in my early sobriety, my early, early days, I had given up, you know, on my, on my dreams. I, I thought, oh, I'm so happy now just being a sober guy and, and like being with sober people and, and, and going out to dinner and, and, if I can just stay sober and that's it, like, I'll be so happy. And I just, I said it there, which is okay. What happened was, so I end up getting caught stealing the money. Private investigators show up. I'm gone from LA. Didn't even pack a bag. And I had to eat that, that my career was done because I tried to fly too close to the sun and impress everybody and show them, look how much of a big deal I am. Instead of just like, doing it the, 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 the real way, you know, not taking shortcuts and faking it. And then, you know, cause all the, there's so many artists, right. They try to create this facade of who they are. If, if I look like a really big deal, people will listen to my music. Yeah. But that's not just artists, man. I mean, I feel like I did that too. And I wasn't even, <laughs> yeah, right, I wasn't right. even anybody, you know? Right. So that's what I did. And I couldn't accept it. I was so embarrassed. I never wanted to talk about it. So I never wanted to, nobody knew I was a musician, but Adam, yeah. he knew me I was a kid, you know, I mean, he seen me play that guitar right there when I, when I first bought it. But, um, but uh, so all of a sudden I see Paul's on Facebook and I'm like, Paul made a post and it says grateful. And I'm like, that's wow. where it Never seen Paul, never heard from him. I thought he was dead. So I said, Paul, are you sober? And he's like, why? I said, you said grateful. He's like, you're sober. I was like, I'm sober, dude. He's like, I've been wanting to thank you. He's like, I got sober. That what happened to him? He got in his car. He was pedaled to the metal, went over a bump. Car got airborne, bottomed out. All the drugs came out. Cops busted him. He went to jail. He never, he never touched a, a drink or a drug since. Wow. So how it relates to my sobriety is it taught me a really valuable lesson that, you know, I am who I am and my story is my story. And if I work on my sobriety and I correct my wrongs, you know, I, 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 I make peace with the people I wronged and, and, I, and I do that work to, to fix my life. Every single thing in my life that brought me so much pain and so much embarrassment and loss has now become something completely hilarious. Like I can laugh, like me and my dad went through terrible times together. One of my favorite things about sobriety is, is how close I am with my dad. If I'm going to hang out with one person right now, I'm hitting on my dad, you know, 
like, and me and him, I mean, I hated him because he didn't support my using and, and, and we had such, cause I was just a liar and a manipulator. Yeah. And all he wanted me to do is be honest. Sure. Me and him had such a tough time during my childhood. It was brutal. Now we don't care at all. Like we, that stuff is like, it's not wasted time. It's not damaged time. There's no damage because I'm sober and I did the work that I needed to do and I'm happy and he's happy and we're happy together. Um, so that's like another example, right? It's like, it's just as long as I can like admit what I did and be honest with myself, I can then use that. So all of a sudden I used that story as promotion and I ended up releasing the song. I repackaged the song. I was like, man, I wrote, I never even got to record it because I was too high. You know, so I was like, I'm going to release it. And I released it. People started to like it. And I was like, well, I wrote How I Cope, which you heard. Yeah, yeah. I wrote, and then I, and then this girl broke my heart. I wrote a couple songs about her, more than a couple. And uh, I was like, I'm going to show her why you don't do that to a songwriter. And uh, <laughs> I went back out to L.A., they were really skeptical to see me. Sure. And, uh, you know, so, um, but, but, we, but, you know, so they met me at an offsite location for like lunch for pizza first, because I told them I was two years sober. I was like, guys, I'm two years sober, you know, like, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I'm changed, you know, that's where right. I'm changed. And they're like, yeah, yeah. So once they saw it, they were like, uh, all right, come on in. We recorded. And, um, and man, I just, that being able to, um, being able to accept what I did and just own it changed everything for me, changed my whole life. Wow. Just that one moment with that, you know? Wow. That's pretty awesome. So a couple of the songs went, went pretty big, right? Like got, mm -hmm. got some real recognition. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a good time. I, uh, so the first one that did, that really hit it was ego and uh i had been releasing songs and nothing would happen so i just sit there and um i just i just release it and then that was it nothing much happened you know and it was like whatever i'm just i'm just doing it you know if i whatever i get is great that, yeah. that's how i looked at it right but i decided i was really gonna give it some nothing i still didn't think it was gonna do anything but i was like i'm gonna focus i'm gonna start using i'm like i didn't one of the things that was my problem when I was not sober in music is that everything was too like, ah, was, like the music business is crazy, right? Sure. It's, it's wild. And it was too much for me. I didn't understand it. I'm like, I'm just a songwriter. I'm like, it's too hard. I freak out. Well, I'm like, I'm sober. I've got a sober mind. I'm like, one of those, one of the things that always drove me crazy was that I didn't feel on top of it. So I was like, all right, sober mindset. Let's get after it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting my MBA and I own a business, you know, I own a music store, the venue and everything. So I'm like, I'm like, all right, I'm, I own my music, my, my music store with partners. So I said, okay, they, when I'm doing stuff in the MBA, I don't really get to test it head on because it's got to go through two partners. Right. But with my band, it's all me. So I took everything I learned in the MBA, and I put it directly in. Right. It was like kind of my school project. I had a terrible day when I released the song. I was having a terrible day. I'm sitting there. I had this moment. I was just taking a bunch of flack 
from everyone and everything around me. And I said, you know what? I got to stop. It doesn't matter. As soon as I said that, I was like, I don't care what anybody does. Anymore. I'm not even going to look at my phone. So I, I hear my phone go beep, 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 starts going crazy. And I'm like, what is going on? My phone got so jammed up. I had to start doing the messages on my computer. I'm 85 on the charts. Oh, wow. He goes 85 on the charts was the text. I go look at the charts. By the time I look at the charts, I was 58. And then I was like 52. And it's just jacking up and jacking up. And, uh, and then how I cope ended up getting back, getting up there. And, and uh, you know, all of a sudden these articles are coming out about me. And I'm like, so this guy calls me. I have no idea what's going on. This guy calls me. He's like, who are you? Is, is this Red Rum Society? I'm like, who are you? He's like, I'm going to write a story on you because you're songwriting and nobody knows who you are. It's a cool story. I'm like, I don't even know what my story is. I'm like, I haven't prepared. You know, I got to make something cool. I don't know what to say. <laughs> He's like, tell me. Yeah. He, gives, he goes, give me one sentence about the song. I give him one sentence. The next day, he sends me a screenshot that the article's got 2 million views. Wow. It happened just like that. And then it's off to the races. Wow. That was, that's, that's how Red Rum Society is what it is. And, wow. and it's really cool because... You know, I took the quarantine as a way to um, really learn. What I did was I was like, there's so many artists that I think are terrible that are so famous. I'm like, every artist that I, that I don't like that's really big and it's bigger than me, I'm going to study how they got big. I don't care about the artists I like because, of course, they got big. They're awesome, you know. And I really don't think I'd do any of that if I was the first. Yeah. There's no question that if I wasn't sober – you know, I'd just be wasting away like I did the, my whole life. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, the, the song Ego, because as you were describing, like, going through this super crazy story that you just told, you know, I was thinking you were saying that, like, you were putting on this facade, this whole show, right? But at the same time, you hated who you were. I mean, the word that kept coming to my mind was ego. And it's a crazy thing, man, because... I can totally relate. I'm sure a lot of people listening and watching this can relate. It's we feel like we're the shit, but we're like the lowest of the low at the same time. It's the craziest thing, right? Totally. So tell me a little bit like specifically, what, tell me what your recovery looks like today. Like what, what do you do to, to stay sober? Well, I'm going to answer the question you just asked me, but I do want to if I can about what you just said. Because yeah, for sure. To me, I mean, that's the, the whole, the whole side. It's like the bigger the ego is, the more insecure I am. And the more insecure I am, the more fragile the ego is. And it's like, it's so destructive. That's what the song's about. Like I, my ego is so big. I'm like, I don't care how bad it hurts my heart. I'm like, you touch the ego, I'm done, you know? And, and really, I, I, I really realized like just through experience, like the, it's like the ego, right? The, uh, it, it's, it's there to protect us, but as addicts, we typically bypass the healthy amount and go straight into it. It's just, there's no off button. Yeah. And we work on it, you know? If, if, you, if you have the chance to work on it, if you're sober. And what I realized is the, the, the smaller that my ego is, the happier I am, the more I can laugh. Like my ego is what was stopping me from doing music believe it or not, because my ego was too big to admit that it was okay, that, yeah, I, I was a, a phony, you know, but because of my ego, I couldn't, t I couldn't tell anybody. 
you know, and there it is. And my ego, you know, I can't learn with my ego. It's the ego is just dishonesty. That's all. That's, that's what it is to me, you know, and, and dude, it was through the roof, you know? So, and now I can have fun with it. Now I can have fun. You've seen my Instagram page. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen not, your Instagram. I'm not yeah. shy on there. Let's put it that way. <laughs> everyone's everyone's got to got to take a scroll through Zach's Instagram when you get a chance. <laughs> yeah, man, for sure. So yeah, so how did you actually? How did you get sober? And and what is your what is your recovery look like? Yeah, awesome. So how I got sober was um i was at houston's waiter comes by i was really beat up from that last night the vigilante night and my dad the waiter says what do you want and i said i want to go to rehab on accident and my dad was it was the first time i'd seen my dad happy about anything i'd ever said basically ever and uh so i thought i'd play along and when he passed out i'd steal his car and never be found again Reason why I got sober is because I had a ribeye with a loaded baked potato. And I passed out. <laughs> and when I woke up, I was in my dad's car. And we're on our That's way. That's a new one, man. I, I haven't heard yeah. that one. Like, and he's like, zippity doo da, zippity You know, and I'm, I'm like, I'm like, ah, what did I do? I figured though, I, so I talked to the rehab guy. And he's just bop, 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 nonstop. And, uh, and then, and I wanted to kill him. I really literally was, was having murderous thoughts about this guy. Yeah. But then he said, this is going to be the first time you'll be with people like you. All the tension went out of my body. And I said, all right, I'll give it a shot. Two months, two months, clean out for two months. Never made it three days before. So I did it. And when I did it, I started to see people that I believed were actually happy and staying sober, you know, because I work a 12 step program. My sponsor is actually from Houston. And uh, if I'm ever there on one of your cheat meal days, you got to take me to, uh, I think it's called shuck and dive. I don't know that one, but we'll, we'll hit a good cheat meal spot for sure. <laughs> All right, good. So uh, yeah, I would really love to eat the food down and down, down in Houston. But uh <sighs> I got really enamored with some of the stories I heard about the founding of my, my fellowship. I'm a history major in, in, high, in college. And I said, I want to be a part of this. You know, I love the institution of it all and what their view on sobriety and the altruism of, I help you to help myself stay sober. And then you do it. And it's like, it's, just like it reminded me of the founding fathers because they were all such flawed individuals who came together to make America, which is whether you like America or hate it, it's a big operation that's lasted a pretty long time, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's really sure. special and it's a really unique concept in America, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's an original unique concept. And I said, these guys are even more flawed than that. And look what they did. They're saving mm -hmm. lives, you know? And, um, and I was an atheist, um, when I came in, um, had moments of desperation where I believed in God, like with Alex and, um, and uh, I noticed that there was some people that were sober that, that fully threw themselves to God 
and they were so happy and joyous and free and they were laughing. And then there was the ones who didn't and some of them were good, but there was a lot of them that, that weren't. I noticed all the guys that had really accepted God, they're doing really well. So I gave that a shot. I just all of a sudden made it like nine months. You know, I still haven't drank. It's been, I, four, July 6th was four years for me. And it's just like, oh, it just hit me, you know? And, and, and I, I, uh, I take it one day at a time. I always remember like, like just, just, first of all, there's so many blessings in my life now yeah. that I would have never had. And if I had them, I'd never be able to appreciate them, you know? And I'm so happy. It's like, I have terrible days in sobriety, but I have people, let's say, if you ask me how I stay sober, I could just impart a couple things. Like the main one I would say would be to diversify in terms of who I surround myself with. It's who I surround myself with and who, especially who I get guidance from is so important because guys that have been sober for a really long time, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you know, I mean, I've got my neighbors 52 years sober, you know, he's been through everything. And he's a musician, so he's been through everything. I really, literally, everything I go through in everything aspect of my life: music, women, sobriety, philosophy, everything going on up here. He's been through it a thousand times. So I'm a big "the sky is falling" guy, you know. And so I feel like the sky is falling with everything I'm doing. I call one of these guys. And they can just laugh at me like Adam did because they've been through it a thousand times and they've stayed sober, you know? And um, I really rely on that. And I really keep everything as simple as I can, especially in the tough times. The tough yeah. times, I get really grounded in the simplicity of it all, hmm. you know? Yeah. And I just, I have a lot of love in my heart. And I find it's much easier to stay sober when you're a lover than a hater. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. No, man, I, I get that. And I, I think that's uh, the keeping a simple thing is something. Yeah, I've been sober a few years now. And I think that when stuff pops up, sometimes I'm tempted to complicate things, because mm -hmm. I just do that sometimes. And it always comes back to the solution is to keep it simple. Like it always goes back to the most simple stuff that I learned when I first got sober. I, I want to ask you real quick, man, like you got sober, uh, you know, in your mid to late twenties, as I did, what do you think some of the, like, we have a pretty mixed audience, but we have a lot of people in the same, you know, in the same age range, mm -hmm. um, that, that listen in and watch this. So like, what are some of the challenges you face just being, younger in sobriety i guess um or do you feel like you've faced any extra I, challenges oh dude I, okay good because you know I, I love this question i was i was just kind of thinking to myself i'm like man we're talking a lot about I'm, I'm really this is this is the good stuff here this is what i love this what I, I could talk about this stuff all day real sobriety the, the challenges in sobriety yeah i love it i love the challenges of sobriety because like the scotty J, who i who I, I call it podcast bomb now, a podcast bomb, Scotty. Um, one great thing about sobriety is you're either in or you're in. There's no looking away anymore. You got to take it all head on. And to me, that's badass. Challenge for a young guy is 
whether better or not, we grow up different than the regular guy in his twenties, especially yeah. in, in girls, right? It's like, so, so one of them is, is we, we, we talked about keeping it simple. Yeah. And me and you, why are we both saying, Oh, keep it simple. Cause we don't. Yeah, absolutely. Cause we have an inclination to complicate things. Mm-hmm. Right. And not to say that we wouldn't, if we were getting high and drunk, but you think a lot more seriously when you're sober. And I, it's funny because if you talking about my page again, one great thing about being Zach Cohen, Red Rum Society, is that I get to have a character that I get to play out. Okay, yeah. Well, guess which one the character is? Is Zach. Zach's the character. I'm a wow, man. I'm crazy, dude. Like that Red Rum Society is me being myself. It's yeah. like, it's like the difference between Superman and Spider-Man, right? They talk about it in, come on, give it to me. Kill Bill 2. Okay. Kill Bill 2. Bill says to, I call her Puma Thurman, but Bill says to her, he says, Spider-Man, is, Peter Parker is Peter Parker, and he puts on a suit and becomes Spider-Man. But Superman is Superman. He takes off his cape, puts on a glasses and a suit and becomes Clark Kent. He's disguised as Clark Kent, but he's really Superman, right? He comes from Krypton. And, um, and uh, that's me. I'm Red Rum Society, disguised as Zach, teaching kids <laughs> music, and going to my MBA classes and being like, uh, professor, you know? But, but really, I'm like posing naked with a hot dog and a disco ball, right? <laughs> That's like me at heart. But so we get, a lot of people get robbed of that in yeah. sobriety it's because alcohol and drugs helps us release our inhibitions. Mm. So I try to not like live in sobriety as if I was high, but I, I, you know, a challenge is that we button up a little too tight as young people. We get, oh, we grow up a little too fast, you know? You want it, for me personally, I like it nice and slow. I'm not trying to become this uber adult, you know, especially like when I see these kids that they didn't even get to drink on their 21st birthday. Like, I even tell them, I go, you know, you're not missing much in the sense of, it's just another day drinking on a birthday, but, you know, be 21. Yeah. Be 21. Don't be... 55 because you're sober you know and i think that's huge problem and, and especially i think it complicates things a lot with dating um date sober people don't date sober people what's right or wrong you know they both have their ups and downs and there's all sorts of complications and once again what it all comes back to is can you keep it simple because as a kid especially it's really easy for us because we think we know everything when we're 20 something yeah Man, that's, that's actually, you know, I, part of the reason I asked is because I've been in a lot of meetings and around, you know, a lot of other sober people, obviously. And I've had people say to me, man, you know, I wish I had got people that are older. Like, I wish I had gotten, you know, sober when I was your age, you know, like maybe I could have done this or done that. Like, it's not, it's just not always the most encouraging thing, I guess, because they almost phrase it like, Hey, maybe you could go out and do it one more time and 
know, <laughs> make it work this time around, you know? Uh, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard that plenty of totally. times. You know? I've heard it come out of my own lips. Now, yeah. I've never relapsed since I walked into 12-step yeah. recovery. But um, I, it's crazy because I was, you heard my story. Mm-hmm. I was a loser. I was banging on people's door in the middle of the night going, oh, you better let me in or else it's on your hands that I die alone in this hallway. You know, and then they'd right. come in and be like, can you eat me lasagna? You know, or some baked ziti or something. So, but, so having said all that, I can tell you all the terrible times I had, how lonely and depressing it was at the, the last, like literally two years. I still, to this day, four years later, in my head, feel like I left a lot of good times out on the table because I was only 25. Wow. Wow, that's honest, man. I feel like I left a lot of good times out there. And for a long time, I I could tell you my best times in my life, up until very recently, best times of my life, the best moments were before I got sober. Hmm. Now, did that one make me want to take me out? No. I already tried. I already saw where that gets me. So whether I left the good times or not on the table – I already know where it leads me. It leads me to a place I don't want to go. Sobriety, I have no idea. No idea where I'm going. And really, the possibilities are endless. The other way only leads one place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Oh, that's Misery. honest, man. I, I, I can appreciate that. And the reality is that we did what we did for so long because we enjoyed it. You know, and man, you were doing it from eight to 25. You've been sober four years now. So it makes sense just logically in my mind that most of the good times that are kind of in your book of good times. Yeah, 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 that, you know, that most of the good times that you experienced are, are pre-sobriety. But it sounds like you're you're developing more of those and, and there's more good times in sobriety going on the list. So, yes. But really, how cursed is my sobriety? How do you beat that at eight years old? You know, I mean, how do you, uh, how do you now say in sobriety, I'm going to beat, you know, this eight-year-old, you know, glory day, you know? It's tough, but I'm doing it, you know? I'm doing it. I can finally say I've had these moments and experiences in my mm-hmm. life that far outweigh yeah. grabbing butts at eight years old. You know? Yeah, yeah. But see, that's the thing, man. We don't know because I... I am going to say what I've heard so many times because this is what I heard and I didn't believe it. You know, had I gotten what I thought I wanted when I first got sober, I would have been selling myself short. And you probably, you might feel the same way. I've heard so many people say that. I feel like that's true. Like so much stuff, stuff has happened in my life that I never, I couldn't even comprehend at the time, you know, and it's way beyond uh, my equivalent of being, totally wasted at eight years old grabbing butts you know? so so it's, there's some pretty good stuff in there but i do want to ask you man before we wrap up here you've given a, a few pieces of advice the the keeping it simple the diversifying which i really like and i was going to kind of touch on you know it sounds like your band is kind of like what we say in recovery you know we're we're people that would rarely mix right it's a different group of people and i think that's pretty cool and, and i have a lot of that too and i think it's important to to diversify but if there's one piece of advice that you could share with with the sober nation just about sobriety in general what do you think it would be 
one is putting pressure on me. The one what I've got in my head at the moment has a lot to do with expectations because of what you said about, you know, not knowing because, you know, when I got sober, I had no idea this incredible journey I was embarking on. It is the most beautiful journey. And I would say, I'm not going to tell anybody how to stay sober in this one. Well, my number one thing of staying sober. But I'll say, I'm going to answer your question a little different. How to enjoy your sobriety. Because one thing I'll tell you about myself is I'm enjoying my sobriety. Good or bad, man, I'm, I'm along for the ride. I'm, I'm, I'm digging my stuff. You know, I, I love my life, man. I love how it feels, right? And I love what's going on. I love the whole aspect of sobriety. And like I said, the journey. So my advice on how to enjoy your sobriety to the fullest. Be true to yourself. And it's okay. Love who you are, no matter what. No matter what it is. All those things you think are so terrible about yourself, someone else is laughing at it because it's awesome. And you can own it and make it funky. Next thing I'll say, I'm living proof of that. It's not just that story. The next thing I'll say is stop and smell the roses. Because there's a lot of times in my sobriety, looking back, that I couldn't wait to get out of a certain situation. Like, for instance, living in a halfway house. I love those guys. I love sitting around, hanging out with the boys. Life was so simple. I wanted all these things in my life. You know, and then once I got them, I missed the simplicity of just, we just hang out, all dudes. I don't have to worry about a relationship. I don't have to worry about owning a business. I don't have to worry about becoming, you know, the next Led Zeppelin. You know what I'm saying? And I can just, just be and just hang out and like laugh, you know? There's so many beautiful moments in life that we don't appreciate and then they're gone and we never get those moments back. You know, um, and, and ne there's never an excuse to be mean to someone. Hmm. Just be nice to everybody. You know, you don't have to accept non-acceptable behavior, but just because you don't accept it doesn't mean you have to be mean to people. And that's one thing I've found has brought a very high quality to my sobriety that I see in others that aren't happy. And I wonder... I wonder if they were like nice to people, how things would play out. So, and that, and, and, and the last thing is, is, is just to be humble. You know, like we were talking about the ego, the ego is just going to block you off from the rest of the world. Cause you know, we're doing this together. You know, we're not doing this alone. We're all in it together. Um, and, uh, and we can all love each other, but, but if our egos are so big, it's just like a guy drinking in a bar. He might be surrounded by a bunch of people, but he's really just sitting there by himself, you know? Oh. So join the party. Come on in. The water's great. Man, dude. See, I just put you on the spot for one piece of advice, and you just hit us with four you can't ask me fire for pieces of advice. Right I copped there. out, really. <laughs> that's all, man. No, that, that's all really great advice, man. Just uh, I, I love all that, you know? be yourself i think is you know is a great one stop and smell the roses be nice to other people pretty like you said pretty simple stuff but 
but so important. So you can check out uh, Zach uh, and the Red Rum Society on Apple Music and Spotify. And you can also follow Zach and the Red Rum Society on Instagram at the Red Rum Society. Thanks again for coming on the show, Zach. It was really nice to meet you, man. You're a good guy. Like it. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.